All right, well, good morning again, and it's so good to see all of you. Uh, we are continuing our Christmas series uh, that we're calling Songs of Christmas, and uh, we're looking at, you know, kind of the, the original Christmas songs and the original Christmas story sung by the original cast. And, and last week we looked at Mary's song, and this week we're going to look at Zechariah's song found in Luke, uh, chapter 1. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, driving. I don't remember where I was driving. And a lot of times when I'm driving, I don't know about you, but I'll kind of like zone out. And when I zone out and I'm kind of like checked out, I tend to go too slow. Now, some of you, I know it's the opposite. You know, you're not thinking and you go too fast. But I tend to go slow. So I'm driving and, you know, at a certain point, I just come to realize like, whoa, I'm going really slow. Cars are kind of like zooming by. But then I realize like, well, it's not my fault. It's because the car in front of me is going too slow. And after a few seconds, I, I realized that it's an old white uh, Toyota pickup truck, something similar uh, to this. And uh, once, you know, I, I recognized the kind of car it is, I kind of chuckled to myself. Uh, not because of the car, not because it's older, not because it's going slow, but because when I was 16 years old, there was nothing in the world then I wanted more. And then a pickup truck, just like this. You know, my friend Peter had one, and I coveted hard every single day. So Christmas of 1995, the year I turned 16, I'm like, I'm hoping, um, I'm praying, I'm pleading, I'm doing everything I can to try to manifest that on Christmas morning I would wake up I would open the door and peek into our garage, and there would be a brand new Toyota pickup truck with a ribbon and a bow. Never happened. I think we can all think of things right, over, over the years, things that we've wanted, things that we hoped for, things that we prayed for, some things that maybe we got, some things that uh, we didn't. And the reality is, and Brandon kind of alluded to this morning, is that every year when we circle back and celebrate Christmas, right, the story never changes. It always remains the exact same. The passages never change. It's the exact same. And the truths never change. And because these are actual historical, factual events, it's a good thing, right, that it, it doesn't change. But what does change every single year, what is constantly evolving, are the things that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we need in any given season. A couple days ago, my daughter Carly was at home. She was feeling a bit under the weather, and she was just out of it, like all day in bed, like knocked out, half conscious, and we would have to like drag her out of bed just to like eat and drink. And at one point, we drag her out of bed, we, we put her on the couch. She's like half awake, half asleep, and she's like, can you get me my laptop? So I, I, I go to her room, and I grab her laptop, and she's like struggling just to, to open it, and I'm like, like, what are you doing? Are you, are you trying to email one of your teachers? Are you, are you trying to do homework? And she's like, I'm, I'm going to make my Christmas wish list. <laughs> right? okay, for, for some, for those of you younger, that's, that's an important thing, right? Because every year that wish list is changing, it's evolving, right? It never remains the same. It gets more expensive, right? Which begs the question this morning that I want us to consider. What do you want from God this season? 
And it doesn't have to be this season, right? What do you need from him? What do you hope he will provide? In what ways could he bless you that would help you, that would make things better? Maybe for, for some of us, it's, you know, it's a career thing. It's work, right? If God could just improve our situation at work, maybe a new role, new coworkers, new boss, maybe just a new job, right? less stress. And maybe for some of us, it's, it's just rest, right? Things just to, to have a break from just the busyness and the chaos, have a nice relaxing vacation. Maybe for some of us, it's financial. Right, things are just tight, and you know, if God could just provide a little bit more, it would help. Maybe for some of us, it's relational. If God could you know, help our marriage, if he could fix our relationship with our kids, if he can help things with family members, with friends, coworkers. And maybe for some of us, it's physical. Right? If God can just heal right, a certain part of our body, maybe it's pain, discomfort, sickness, a disease. Maybe for some of us, it's emotional, spiritual. Right? If God could just give us more joy in this season, more hope, more, more patience. Right? Maybe it's prayer for a loved one, right? A family member, a friend who's just struggling. And if God could just bless that person, help that person. Well, what we're going to see this morning in our passage is that when it comes to Christmas, Sorry, sorry. You know, I, hate to, I hate to do this right now, but I think those doors are locked and people can't get in. <laughs> Thanks, John. You just prop it open. Me, or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah, we don't want to lock our doors. <laughs> Either way, right? We don't want to lock you in and we don't want to like people out, so, um, okay, well, here's, here's what I was saying, okay, and when it comes to Christmas, okay, while we all know that Jesus is the reason for the season, and nothing should or ever change that or lessen that, what we're going to see in our passage this morning is that what we want, the things that we desire, the things that we value, the things that we feel we need in any given moment, those things matter a lot because it matters to God. So before we get into our song, we're going to look at the events uh, leading up to the song. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 5 to 6. So this is the introductory to Luke. He, after some initial greetings, it's the first thing he gets into. Uh, verse 5, it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So here we're introduced to Zechariah. We're told that he's a priest. He's part of the division of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, is also from the, is a descendant of Aaron, from the lineage of of Aaron, and both of them are righteous in the sight of God, and when it comes to God's commands and his decrees, they are blameless. Right? 
So it's not saying that they were sinless, but rather they had a kind of faith that God credited as righteousness and that they were sincere and they were intentional and diligent when it came to God's commands. So in terms of like lineage, right, descendants of Aaron himself, in terms of like occupation, Zechariah is a priest, in terms of the way they lived their life blamelessly, um, you know, they kind of like checked off all the boxes in terms of spiritual maturity. In faith. What, what Luke is telling us right from the get-go is that these are individuals who are kind of the epitome of, of faithfulness. Where the kind of people that you would look at and say, God likes those people. Right? God favors them, delights in them, and this is high praise. Yet, as we'll soon see, despite that, their lives are far from perfect. They are not immune to struggles to hardships, to, to pain and hurt. The very next verse, verse 7, it says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And we're told that they were very old and they were childless. Not because they didn't want to have any kids, but because they couldn't have kids, which implies that they really wanted to have kids and they tried really hard to have kids, but they could never have kids. Now, first century Middle Eastern culture, to, to be able to bear children, to have kids, was, was viewed as a blessing. It was viewed as a tremendous gift and a tremendous honor. Right? In addition to just the joy and the delight of having kids and having a big family, there were the practical benefits, the, the economic you know, support, financial stability, in, in addition to being able to pass on your lineage, your legacy, so to be able to not have kids was a hard pill to swallow. Culturally, there was a sense of shame, a sense of dishonor, as if there was something wrong uh, with you. So it's, it's not hard to imagine. Even though we don't know for certain, it's not hard to imagine the kind of anguish and the kind of turmoil that Zechariah and Elizabeth endured for years. The, the, the confusion, uh, the frustration... Right, just the, the pain. Every single time somebody asks them, like, how many kids do you have? How old are your kids? Where are your kids? Why don't you have kids? When are you going to have kids? We can imagine just how, how hard and how difficult it was. Right, and what Luke is, is telling us right in this beginning picture is that these are individuals who were righteous in the sight of God, who were blameless, yet they had real pain. Real struggle, real wants, real desires. Going on with verse 8, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, the Kind of long story short, uh, Zechariah is one of thousands of priests and they're separated into divisions and the divisions are separated into orders and when it was his shift to work the temple, he gets chosen. It's kind of a once in a lifetime thing. You get chosen, that's it, you're done. He gets chosen to be able to enter the temple, tremendous honor, privilege, to be in God's presence and to offer the incense offering to the Lord. 
uh, symbolic of, of God, their prayers rising uh, to the heavens. So this is the, the, the pinnacle of, of Zechariah's career, the highlight of his ministry, perhaps the best moment of his life. Verse 11, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Right, so for hundreds of years, priests have entered this temple twice a day, every single day for hundreds of years. Each time they go out, they come out probably saying the same thing. It was awesome. It was amazing. You could see the lampstand, the showbread, the altar, the curtain. Not once did anyone ever mention right, an angel. So Zechariah goes in, and an angel appears, and he's startled. And he's terrified for obvious reasons. And this angel, Gabriel, we're told, says, Do not fear your prayer has been heard. And maybe for a split second, Zechariah is wondering, like, which prayer are you referring to, right? Like, the one I'm praying right now on behalf of Israel? Was it the prayer I said over breakfast for my achy knee? And the angel says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John, which means Yahweh has been gracious. I want us to just kind of just pause for a moment and just think about what's happening here. God is about to do something big in human history. Right? He's about to usher in the, the climax, the pinnacle of human history, provide the means of salvation for all of humanity, past, present, future. But where he begins, where he starts, he says, Zechariah, I want, I want to talk about your prayer first. I want to address your prayer. I want to talk about your want, your desire, your hurt, your struggle. Gabriel goes on to describe that you're going to have a son and he's going to give you a lot of joy, a lot of delight, and he's going to cause many people to rejoice. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He's going to bring people back to God, and he's going to move in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So Zechariah hears this, and he knows what God is declaring or what this angel is declaring. This is a big deal. One, he's in the presence of God. He's in the temple. Two, an angel is talking to him. Three, this angel is quoting from the prophet Malachi. The very last thing that God said to his people in Malachi is that when he comes to usher in salvation, he's going to send the prophet Elijah. So Zechariah is, is hearing all this. He, he understands that something big is happening, and he's got a question. Well, at least one question. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? 
I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. All right, so Zechariah, I mean, this is a lot to process, right? You walk in the temple, you see an angel, he's like, don't be afraid, you're going to have a kid. Spirit of Elijah, Messiah's coming. You're the first to know. And Zechariah hears all this, and he's, he's got a question. Like, how can I be sure this is going to happen, right? My wife, Elizabeth, I, we're really old, we're unable to have kids. And I love Gabriel's response. He's like, I'm Gabriel. When I was a student at UCLA, I had a friend, Eugene, who used to work at the, the John Wooden Center. And the Wooden Center was kind of our fitness center, right? It was the gym where you worked out. And his job was to work the front desk and to just make sure, you know, to check our IDs, you know, show our IDs, you get to go in for free. And if not, I think at the time, you had to pay like $3 if, if you weren't a student and you had to pay. And it wasn't uncommon a lot of time for professional athletes to come by and to play pickup basketball in the gym. So Eugene tells the story of one time he's working, and former NBA player Grant Hill. And Eugene was a huge Grant Hill fan. He used to wear Fila, 33, everything. Uh, walks in, and Eugene sees him, and he, and he has to, like, oh, excuse me, sir, do you have ID? <laughs> right? And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, and just pulls out his wallet, you know, shows, pays the $3, goes in to work out, play basketball. On another occasion, a young Kobe Bryant come, comes walking through, and he walks through, and Eugene kind of looks at his supervisor, and his supervisor's like, you got to, you know, do your job. And, uh, excuse me, sir, do you have ID? And Kobe turns around, and he says, I'm Kobe. <laughs> and he looks at his supervisor, and they're kind of like, that's enough. <laughs> right? Gabriel here is like, I'm Gabriel. Like, I'm kind of, a, kind of a big deal. If you look at the Old Testament, you read Daniel, you, you'll know. Like, I'm kind of, kind of high up. But more importantly, right, what he's saying is, I've come from the presence of God. These are his words. This is his message, the good news to you. And because you did not believe my words, you will be unable to speak. You will be silent. Some scholars think even deaf until these things come true. Now, here's what's so interesting and fascinating. Zechariah hears all this and he says, how? How can I be sure? And the angel's like, you can't talk no more. Right? A few months later, and we saw this story last week, Gabriel's going to head over to, to Galilee. He's going to appear to a young gal named Mary, and he's going to say something similar. He's like, do not be afraid, you who are highly favored. You are going to conceive a child, give birth. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be great, son of the most high. I'm paraphrasing here. He's going to be awesome. He's the Messiah. He's the one we're waiting for. Mary's going to hear all this, and she's going to ask the question, how? Like, I'm a virgin. I'm planning to, to wait until marriage. And Gabriel's going to respond, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to take care of all of it. So why the, the different response? And when we dive deeper, what we begin to, to see is that even though the questions are similar, what is being asked is vastly 
different. You see, for Mary, when she asked the question like, how is this going to happen? Her question is, is mostly like biological, it's scientific. Like, like how? Like, I'm, like right, yeah, I'm not married yet, I plan on waiting. Like, how am I going to have a child? And Gabriel responds. Holy Spirit's going to take care of it. But for Zechariah, he's a priest. We know that one of his main roles is to study the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, teach the scriptures, right? To recall all that God had done for his people, all that he had promised to help his people live accordingly. And one of the major events in Israel's history that Zechariah would have known by heart, that he had probably taught on more times than he could even remember, was the story of Abraham and Sarah. Zechariah knew how God had blessed Abraham and Sarah with a son, Isaac, even though they were very old and unable to have children. So when Zechariah asks the question, like, how can I be sure? He is not asking, how can I know that God can do this? He knows God can do this. But what he's asking is, how can I be sure that God will do this for me? See, Zechariah's question is not scientific, it's, it's personal. What Zechariah is saying is that for years, it didn't seem like God was answering this prayer. How can I be sure he's going to answer now? For years, it didn't seem like he truly, truly cared about this want, about this desire, about this cry. How can I be for sure that he truly cares now? See, God is doing something big in human history. Yet what he wants Zechariah to know is that Zechariah, despite all that I'm about to do, I want you to know that I have heard your prayers. That I've seen your tears. That I know your hurt. I know your frustration. I know your pain. I know the turmoil. I know the anguish. And I do care. And I do love you. And Zechariah, my, my love is big enough, right? to provide for all of humanity the gift of salvation for those who want it and to address your prayer and your want and your need in this moment. So then we're, we're told that eventually Zechariah, he leaves the temple. People are kind of confused. They know something went down because he was in there for a really long time and he can't talk, but he can't explain how. He finishes shift. He goes back home and somehow, and it's kind of a mystery, Somehow he's able to convince Elizabeth, like, we got to start trying again. You know, like. <laughs> All right, like, husbands, give that a shot and see how that goes. <laughs> but somehow, right, he convinces her. They try. They eventually conceive. Give Months go by. They give birth to a son. On the eighth day, they return back to the temple per tradition to have him circumcised, but also to register his name. Everyone assumes it's going to be Zechariah Jr., but Elizabeth's like, no, it's John. And Zechariah confirms his name is John. 
And immediately it says his tongue is set free. He's able to, to speak and he immediately begins to praise God. And that's where we get this song. So we're going to read it in verse 68. It says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he had said through his holy prophet of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So Zechariah begins by saying, Praise be to the Lord. Says God has come to redeem his people. He speaks in past tense, right? He's technically here. He's in Mary's stomach, but he's already come to redeem his people. He's going to rescue us. He's going to turn hearts, give salvation. And he says, and my boy John, my boy John is going to prepare the way. And at the very heart of this song, you can almost feel it as you read it, understanding where Zechariah is coming from. But the heart of this song is Zechariah magnifying God's mercy, God's favor that is undeserved, unearned, unmerited. In verse 72, Zechariah says, God is doing all this. He's redeeming, rescuing, saving in order to show mercy. The literal translation is do mercy. This is God doing mercy. In verse 78, he says, because of the tender mercy of God, he's sending Jesus to be the light that leads us out of darkness. You see, in, in retrospect, we, we know that as Zechariah is proclaiming this, it says he's proclaiming this filled with the Holy Spirit, he's prophesying, Zechariah is proclaiming this, there's a lot he actually doesn't fully understand. And that's not a knock on him, right? Nobody in the first century fully understood what, what Jesus came to do and how he would do it. But what Zechariah does understand, what he grasps, not just intellectually but relationally, is he understands the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God. Because God has given him another glimpse of his kindness, of his goodness. And perhaps, and this is just maybe, maybe this is why God kept Zechariah silent. Kept him silent until he actually had the visible, tangible proof that he could see, that he could hold of just another example of God's mercy and his kindness for him. In verse 74, Zechariah does highlight a very important truth in all of this. He says, God is doing all this and he's demonstrating mercy and he's demonstrating his kindness to enable us 
to serve him uh, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That God does genuinely care about our joy, about our delight, our wants, our needs, but his ultimate purpose, right, his ultimate purpose is to bless us in such a way that ultimately draws us near to him. To bless us in a way that restores the relationship to how he designed it to be. Remember our Genesis series? Right? To restore the relationship where we receive his blessings, we receive his provisions, and we grow to trust him. We grow to love him, worship him, serve him, participate in his plans and in his purposes. Right, that God doing mercy is not him giving us what we want, when we want it, how we want it. But he's meeting us in a way that strengthens our relationship, that draws us closer to him, that empowers us to experience his goodness and his kindness. Right, it's kind of why God didn't say, Zechariah, you're going to have a son and you're going to call him Zechariah Jr. And he's going to get really good grades and be good at sports, and he'll probably get a full ride, and he's going to be one of the top priests in the country, and he's going to get, live a good, comfortable life, right? Not, not that that would have been wrong. But he says, you're going to call him John. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead many people back to God. But as you'll soon see, he's, he's going to be a little different. He's going to live out in the wilderness. He's going to survive on locusts and honey. A lot of people are going to think he's crazy, demon-possessed. And he's going to be arrested and executed because of my name. And Zechariah, I'm going to use you to raise him in such a way that steers him in that direction. When I was uh, in school, uh, my major at the time was uh, business economics, minor in accounting. And my goal, my plan was to go into finance and be a CPA. Uh, so junior year of college, I was part of a campus ministry, uh, AACF, and that was a big part of my faith, big part of my journey. But because of my desired career goals, I also joined the Student Accounting Society. And all the cool kids were doing it, so I just figured, like, I would, you know, sign up too. But the Student Accounting Society, basically you put on events, networking events for the, the, the firms, the recruiters, the professionals to come and, you know, mingle with the kids to help us get a job. So I would, you know, go to, to these events as an officer and, you know, basically schmooze, right? You're schmoozing with the recruiters, you're the, the working professionals who I viewed as like so old at the time and they're just young adults right out of college. And things are going well. You know, I'm doing the mock interviews, I'm getting to know all the recruiters, uh, getting invited to steak dinners, clipper games, and, you know, my prayer at the time was, you know, the, the goal was that if you can get an internship with one of these firms, right, if you can get an internship the summer before your senior year, you would pretty much guarantee a job after you graduated. So my prayer at the time was, God, help me to, to give me one of these internships, right? so that I don't have to worry about getting a job, so then I could spend all senior year focusing on you. 
serving you, right? So you can kind of hear how skewed that prayer request was. Like, give me a job, then I can focus on serving you. One day, I go to check the mail, and four envelopes, right? Because I only applied to four out of the, the big five firms at the time, and each envelope was a rejection letter. Right? Thank you for applying. I'm fortunate at this time. Blah, 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 blah. That night, I'm confused. You know, I'm like, God, what, what just happened? Right? Like, I thought things were, were going well, and I was praying, and I was asking, and I thought I was doing everything right, and, you know, I just said, okay, God, like, what, whatever, whatever you want. Whatever your, whatever your will is, like, I'm good with. Well, the very next day, we had another event planned, uh, another networking event, and, and I kind of just said to myself, like, I'm done schmoozing, right? Like, it doesn't work. I'm sick and tired of it, so I'm not talking to any recruiters. I'm not talking to any of the working professionals. I'm just going to talk to the other students, and, and that's it. Whole night goes by, and that's exactly what I do. And at the very end of the night, as the, you know, the different firms are kind of putting away their stuff, I see a recruiter from one of the mid-tier firms. And I just walk over to casually just help put some stuff away and help him there. And we talk for about two minutes, just about hobbies, interests. He liked to surf. I played basketball at the time. And after about two minutes, he says, hey, do you have an internship? I was like, no, actually, I don't. He says, if you want one, I'll give it to you. Never saw my grades. Never talked about experience, never saw my transcript. I went home that night, and I'm like, God, what just happened? And I felt in that moment God saying, in just in the most loving and gracious way, you didn't earn this one. So if I ask you to give it up, you have to. So I took the internship. I ended up taking the job after I graduated. And when that time came for a, a career change, I, I knew I had to give it up because I didn't earn that one. And in hindsight, I can look back right, and see that God didn't answer that prayer in the way that I wanted, in the way that I had hoped for, but he answered it in a way that drew me closer to him that put me in alignment with his plans and his purposes. God cares deeply about what you want, about what you desire, about what you feel you need. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your frustration, even your doubts and disbelief. You know, scriptures tell us that our desires, right, the things we want, uh, they're windows into our soul. They are a reflection of, of who we are. Right? Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? The things that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we value, it's a reflection of who we are. It's a window into our soul. Right, it's why if somebody were to ask you, like, hey, how can I pray for you? There's actually two questions you got to wrestle with. Right, one question is like, yeah, what do I want prayer for? Like, what do I want? What do I need? The second question is like, what am I willing to share? Right, what am I comfortable telling you? Because the things that we want, it's deeply personal. Right, it's a reflection of who we are. And because God cares so deeply, about who we are, he 
cares about what we want, what we desire. Philippians 4, 6, 7, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Right? Scripture says, present all your requests to God. Anything you want, anything you need, anything causing stress, anything that's causing worry, anxiousness, present all your requests to God. We don't have to try to filter out like the good requests and the bad requests. We don't have to prioritize like, okay, I'll give you the top five because I know you're really busy. Right? He's saying, just present all of your requests. Like, I'm big enough to handle all your requests all the time. And the reason, right, is not to inform God. We don't don't need to inform Him. But it's ultimately to, to trust Him to bring our requests to him, to invite him to to meet us where we're at, to address who we are. And we come to him not with the expectation that he's going to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, but we come with the confidence. We come with the faith that he's going to be gracious and kind, loving and compassionate. And in the end, he is going to do what is good and what is perfect. I'll close with this, Matthew 7, 9 to 11. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. So bring it back to the question, what do you want from God this morning? What do, you, what do you need from him? What do you hope he'll provide? In what ways can he bless you? So as we close our time this morning, I pray that we would bring those requests to him, that we would freely Honestly, just bring our request to Him. Because what we want really matters. Because you really matter. Yes, He may not give us everything we want. Yes, there may be moments, seasons, where it doesn't seem like He's hearing our prayers. Yet we can trust that He is good We can trust that he is gracious, that he is kind, that he is compassionate. And in the end, he will do what is good and what is perfect. He is a God who is with us. He is a God who is for us. This is why he sent Jesus to be with us, to live amongst us, so that every single one of us could experience and receive his love and his mercy. Will you pray with me?